Ah, yes, it is that time once again. Welcome inside the Texag Studios, episode 36 of Double Coverage Sports Talk, and it feels good to be back uh, alongside Luke Heaton. I'm Mitch Mason. Episode 35 was one of my favorites last week. It was uh, just incredible. We had some good sports talk and then uh, a great lesson as well. Easter has passed us, and uh, very thankful for that, but we are fully into the last two weeks of the semester scholastic wise it is the most stressful time of the year especially for me graduating i was calculating my grades earlier that was fun also stressful but uh, i think we're gonna make it luke uh i gotta ask first question how you doing with two weeks left week and a half left it's a little sad just uh finished my last bowling class ah so finished my last archery class yeah so obviously we're doing just high class academic endeavors here <laughs> at Texas A and M, um, but it was a this semester's flown by. It's been awesome. Mm-hmm. Sports a lot, uh, which has been great. We sports a lot together. Yes, spring semester always brings a lot of good uh, sports occurrences. But yeah, last bowling class. Uh, I think I'm playing golf with my bowling professor. Oh, in, nice. In the next what, week or two, yeah. we, he's a big golf guy, so we talked a little golf. Um, finished with an average of, I think like 154. Okay, so. Okay. Records 208, uh, who's counting? I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, the last two weeks, just a lot of projects, presentations, yeah. and surviving, but enjoying it while it's happening. Can you get the spin, the real nice spin on your on your ball? Oh, yeah. We do a little right-to-left spin, okay. uh, the opposite movement of my golf ball, which is a yeah. severe left-to-right. Um, <laughs> Same. Yeah. <laughs> it's about to cost me this weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And hopefully you have no movement on your arrows when you shoot. No, no. Although, my goodness, I don't know if we've talked about it on this. We've certainly talked about it off air. You've talked about the uh, the kind of life-threatening arrows. Being of, on the firing line with some of my classmates was, I mean, a come-to-Jesus moment. Like, <laughs> we to start off, right, you, you start by firing... An, a normal kind of uh, generic like sighting in, figuring out, okay, is my bow sighted in? How are the arrows flying? Is 20 yards, right? That's what I shoot for a compound bow before I go hunting. Recurve bow, you obviously don't have a, a great sight on it, and so we shoot at 10 yards to start. And a bale that is, I mean, the length of this table, it's not small. Characters were missing left and right. I mean, I would step back after shooting my three, and I'm not saying I'm Robin Hood, but I could hit the target. I would step back, and you would just hear like clunk, clunk, zzz, clunk, as arrows were missing left, right, and center, and flying over the bale to the back wall, skittering underneath. It was oh my goodness, it was absolutely horrifying. So it was nice to see some of those people figure out how to you know put, knock an arrow and keep yeah. it on the string uh we did win the archery tournament my my group was victorious in that we went undefeated on uh shooting day nice. so that was fun um but anyway it's it has been a fun semester sportsing has been incredible especially mm-hmm. with the masters that was our most recent gym that we had but uh, today a jam-packed episode it is draft week that yep. is extremely exciting happy for me. draft eve oh yes i'm Super pumped. I'm going to get to watch the first round tomorrow night before taking off for Mississippi for the weekend. But uh, all of the the work that everyone puts into studying the draft has is finally culminating. And then obviously on the players' side, like years, is just about to pay off tomorrow. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to put together a final mock draft, but I do have thoughts. And that's what we're going to go over today. Yeah. But before we get to all the draft talk, which will be the majority of this episode... We're going to bookend it with a little NBA talk. And last night, one of the most dramatic playoff shots, I think, ever in NBA history was hit. Damian Lillard fired from way downtown to knock out the Oklahoma City Thunder. Take us through that and what you what you thought when you woke up this morning and got to relive it multiple times on Twitter. Yeah. NBA history, hot take. I think so. Hot take? I think so. Uh, the Just the emotions involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was absolutely Dame time. Going to the fourth quarter mm-hmm. with 42 points, dropped a, dropped a 50 ball yeah. on Westbrook's head, hit a 30-footer at the buzzer in game five. Mm. I mean, it, it, it was amazing. You watched hit a 40-footer <laughs> last night. Yeah. <laughs> so I saw a stat in Paul George in the postgame. I mean, there's so, so many things that happened. 
He said, oh, it's a bad shot. He just made it. Well, I, I saw that he was five for five from threes 30 feet and mm-hmm. farther in this mm-hmm. series. A pretty good shot for him. Yeah. I mean, he was water from deep. Uh, and then you see Seth Curry in the corner if you watch the highlight. He <laughs> Before up, the yep, shot, yep. he's he's telling the Oklahoma City bench, Dame's about to send you guys home. Mm-hmm. And then Dame hits the shot. Seth Curry just looks at him. Yeah. And then the one of the honestly one of the most iconic photos in NBA history yes. is Dame just staring with a just blank face like oh, I've been here before. Getting mobbed on the floor yeah. by his teammates. It's nothing. And I don't even know how he craned his neck that way, but he just kind of no. like looks up at the camera that is right there in his face and just mean mugs the nation. Yeah. Um I, honestly, congrats to Portland. I'm so happy for them. I hate the Thunder because I hate Russell Westbrook. He just Russell Westbrook is one of the greatest pure scorers for sure in NBA history. And then what he's been able to do, averaging a triple double the last three seasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is he's as talented as they get, right? But the problem is he plays such selfish basketball that he doesn't facilitate kind of a, a team experience to where he can ever win. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was I was listening to some guys this morning. They said that Russell Westbrook will be the most successful loser in NBA history. He just doesn't win. He can get his team to the playoffs, but good luck after that. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, then he talks a ton of trash. He's, you know, not a classy player in that. Uh, and then, honestly, to hear Paul George whine at the postgame press conference saying, acknowledge the shot, dude. I mean, 37 feet is what the NBA had it as – the official distance. That was incredible. How, how I know it stings, but at the same time, acknowledge greatness, acknowledge yeah. that. Oh my gosh. He just bombed from deep with Paul George in his face. It wasn't like PG played bad defense. He was right there with like the, the, there's a still shot of, you know, Dame in the middle of his follow through. And Paul is as close to him as you possibly good can be without touching him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for him to just go, oh, it was a bad shot, and, you know, his, like, yeah, they won the game. History's going to remember what they won the game, but it was a bad shot. Nobody cares. You're just digging your own hole yeah. here. I don't like how Russell Westbrook's attitude is rubbing off on Paul George. Yeah, what what was it after, which game was it after that both the Westbrook horrible, and George just decided to not answer It was questions? after they won game three, because I think Portland was up 2-0, then they win game three, mm-hmm. and then... And and to give it context, Russell Westbrook has kind of beef with a reporter that was asking them questions. Yes, um, for the past like three years. But man, like these were answerable questions. Like the the reporter was trying to feed him questions to be able to talk about the win. Yeah, it was like, what does Game Three do for the momentum? Yeah, in and the they're series? like, yeah, some of the momentum swing in the fourth quarter, and then you contrast that with you see Blake Griffin at the uh, the exit interviews. Um, he goes and shakes every hand of every media member mm-hmm. and says thank you and then walks out. I mean, Russell Westbrook's just putting a target on his back. And maybe that's what he likes. Maybe that's what he needs. And, and we've talked about this before. The way Westbrook plays sells tickets. Yes. Fans love it. It sells jerseys. In, in Oklahoma City, that's one. Of, that's, a, that's a great basketball atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a city with a ton of professional sports. Yeah. Um, if you're in Oklahoma City, you're yeah, locked it's in basketball. on the and, that, and that's why Portland's so great, and that's why San Antonio's so great. Their atmospheres are amazing because that's their pro team, whereas Dallas, you've got four. Yeah. Um, but it sells tickets, but it doesn't win games. You have to be able to shoot the ball. His shooting percentage was atrocious. And Oklahoma City can't shoot the ball, whereas Portland has a dynamic backcourt with McCollum and Lillard. And then you get um, Al Farouk Amino hitting. He had 19 in game four, I believe. Yeah, one publication called Al Farouk Amino X Mav. I really Dallas liked him. Dallas great. Yeah, I really liked him. He called. They called him the the glue that holds Portland together. Yeah, I mean, you've got a dynamic backcourt like that that's hitting shots, and then capable big men. That's tough to beat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad Portland won. I like seeing Damian Lillard, one of the most underrated players I think in NBA history. Honestly, like with what he's doing in the playoffs, I mean, he's like a top three. He's got to be a top three, top four guy for MVP. Yeah, it's been amazing. Love to see Portland advance. Not really sure what to say about Oklahoma City. They obviously need more pieces. They need to be able to shoot the ball. Russell Westbrook has to humble himself. Who cares if it's a triple-double? Like you said, the most successful loser in NBA history. Colin Coward would say, I don't care if my my point guard's getting extra rebounds. 
right. shoot the ball well and get assists. Yeah. It's not winning basketball. It's winning for ticket sales. But if the goal is to advance in the playoffs, you have to be able to shoot the ball. Westbrook has played himself into the Basketball Hall of Fame. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But oh, of course, yeah. he's not LeBron. Uh, you know, to, to cite an anonymous uh, NBA exec, he's, you know, LeBron can't drag four cadavers to the NBA Finals and win a championship anymore. If LeBron can't do that, Westbrook is a special player, but at the same time, he doesn't have that it factor where no matter what situation he's in, he's going to you know go to the finals and win. I think that's just how exceptional LeBron has been over his career, that you see a guy who averages a triple-double a season. Not just a night, yeah. a season. And he can't get out of the first round of the playoffs because he almost plays, he's almost too much of a superstar. He He's too, he has to have the ball in his hands every single trip down the floor, which if it's not him shooting, then it's really Paul George shooting. I don't think they utilize Steven Adams nearly enough underneath. Um, there just, there isn't really room for role players in Oklahoma City because Westbrook plays such selfish basketball. And it shows when Westbrook can't score, it's over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, to, to Oklahoma City's credit, it's not like they just fell off last night. Like, they kept pushing. They kept scoring. Portland just came back, and obviously Dame had yeah. had a really, really special performance. And Oklahoma City was up 10 with, like, six minutes left. Yeah. yeah. But, man, Damian Lillard dropped a 50 ball yeah. on right. Paul George and Russell Westbrook, it, and I could not have been happier. It was a very, very special performance. And uh, so we're going to actually transition out of NBA talk Luke's going to bring us back towards the end with uh, the lesson as that ties into Lillard's shot. But now it is time. It is draft week, and we've got a lot to get into as far as the first round of the draft and then taking you through what the Cowboys draft could look like. There's a lot of mock drafts out there. There's a lot of Cowboy-centric drafts out there. Um, And depending on who you read, there's a lot of different scenarios. Some writers have players falling a lot farther than I think they will. Some people have, you know, the Cowboys moving around to uh, kind of mix and match needs with draft picks and, and trying to pick up future draft picks as well. But first, let's start with the first round. And like I said, I didn't have time to get to a complete mock, which, you know, I could have thrown together a list, but that didn't, yeah, that wouldn't have done it justice, right? And so I just decided, no, let's just use Dane Brugler's mock draft. This is his fifth mock draft, which if you do not know who Dane Brugler is, Google him, read his free stuff on The Athletic if you're not subscribed. He's a wealth of football knowledge. And the debate, the controversy starts with the first overall pick. Dane has, as do McShay, Mel Kuyper, they have Kyler Murray going number one overall to Arizona. Your thoughts on that? It seemed like it was a lock. And we've heard, not we're not sure how trustworthy these reports are, but there's been reports that now Arizona's not going to select Kyler Murray. And then my thinking is if they don't select Kyler Murray, we're talking about this off air, I would say they would draft Quinn Williams because they've got, I'm forgetting his last name, his, his name. Chandler Jones? Chandler Jones on the edge. So they don't have an immediate need at edge to draft Nick Bosa. You would say if they don't draft Kyler, they should trade back. Yes. Um, if you're not going to I I believe Nick Bosa should be the first player off the board. Kyler is even if you take Kyler at number 1, you're drafting for need. Kyler is not the best player in this draft. He's not even in the top 10 in my opinion in best players in this draft. Um Brugler in his top 100 prospects has Kyler ranked 13th. That's probably where I would put him as well. Um and in my mock my last mock I think I had him going to Miami. Now that was a month and a half ago, so obviously a lot has changed. But if you're the Arizona Cardinals and you draft Kyler Murray at number one, you've made a huge mistake, in my opinion, because one, you have a potential franchise quarterback already on the roster in Josh Rosen. Rosen had a rough rookie season, but there wasn't a lot on that roster. It, yeah. it, to put to put the Cardinals record on Josh Rosen by himself is just it's unfair. Horrible. Yeah. Pey- Peyton Manning had a rough rookie season. Yeah. Peyton Manning threw interceptions like his he it was his day job yes and because his team was horrible yeah so to say that josh rosen you know is the reason that the cardinals were so bad you didn't watch 
enough Cardinals football, I guess. Um, so in my opinion, you know, a new coach in Cliff Kingsbury comes in. It would be kind of a storybook moment for him to come in. He had said all those months ago, oh, if, if I had the first-round pick in the NFL draft, I would take Kyler Murray. Well, now you have it. It would be kind of that storybook moment where he takes Kyler and, you know, Cliff and and uh, Kyler right off into the sunset together, <laughs> I guess. I don't really know. Um, it's going to be a lot of bad football in Arizona for at least a couple more seasons. But in my estimation, when you have the first overall player pick, you take the player that has the most chance to be your franchise player, regardless of need. Like you're saying Chandler Jones is on the edge, and yes, he is their primary pass rusher. I think he only has two more years on his contract, and he's not getting any younger. So if I was the Arizona Cardinals, I would say, okay, who is the most guarantee to throw down a slam dunk if we, you know, with that first overall pick? It's Nick Bosa, in my opinion. Yeah. If you want to take a quarterback, if you are sold with Kyler Murray, trade back. I don't think anyone is going to trade up into the top five to undercut you. Obviously, the Cardinals would be the first move of the night. So they, let's say they trade back to five. Uh, I think that's what the Jaguars at five. Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Um, Tampa wants out of five. Now, I don't know if they want to move up to one necessarily, but figure out a way to trade back and then go get Kyler and get some draft capital as, uh, you know, for future considerations as well. Don't reach. Don't take Kyler at one because, honestly, the jury is still out on Kyler. Now, Baker came in, had a lot of the same concerns. Is he too short? Does he have enough, you know, wherewithal to be an NFL quarterback or you know, is the locker room going to be an issue? And he quieted a lot of those doubts last season. Yeah. I'm not saying Kyler can't do that. What I am saying, though, is in my opinion, if you go and get Kyler Murray when you already have a potential franchise quarterback on that roster that you, you haven't seen what he can do with the throttle open, right? It just it seems, it seems like a reach to me. So if I was the Cardinals, I'd trade out. If you really want to go get Kyler Murray, pick something else up, and then deal with your quarterback fallout later yeah it, it'd be a weird situation it, it's it's tough to see how it could work out and, and, and honestly if if cliff is set on kyler like i need this guy i can win with this guy mm-hmm. then by all means draft him but you gotta move rosen yeah at that point you have to right you're you're automatic a year later giving up on your 10th overall yeah. pick you have to get him out you can't have two young quarterbacks that are both you know, pretty much narcissists in the same room. Yeah. Like Josh Rosen has drawn comparisons to Aaron Rodgers, which over the last year, year and a half, I think the world has kind of had their eyes open to how much of an ego Aaron Rodgers has and yeah. how, you know, he's not someone you can deal with really. And it's caused a lot of toxicity in Green Bay. Obviously Mike McCarthy's out. Aaron Rodgers had almost everything to do with that. So you can't have a guy who's already in one season drawing comparisons to Aaron Rodgers and your new shiny first-round draft pick in the same QB room, let alone locker room. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you got to move Rosen at that point. And there have been a lot of talk about suitors for Josh Rosen, the Giants at six. Um, Jacksonville doesn't need a franchise quarterback at this point. Um, Denver at 10 could could use one, which Dane Brugler has uh, Drew Locke going at tend to the Broncos so there's a lot of moving pieces that have to be considered here and I'm that's what I'm really really excited to see who do the Cardinals pick do they trade back do we go with Kyler Murray and then just deal with the fallout it's going to be a really really interesting start to the night for sure now you said you would uh you had heard Quinnen Williams would go one if the Cardinals stayed but didn't pick Kyler Murray correct Mm -hmm. That's that's what I was I forget where I read that, but someone some writer was saying that's what they think they should do. Yeah, because they don't have an immediate need at edge, and they need a playmaker in the interior, and Quinnen Williams can be that guy. Yeah, uh, Quinnen Williams is a really really interesting player. He's another one of those guys that's considered a blue chip prospect, right? Um, the Jets want out at three because they don't need another defensive tackle. They've got um, Leonard Williams right there right now, and although it would be awesome to see a, a rotation of Quinnen Williams and Leonard Williams, sorry, um, I think the Jets run a three-four right now, and so they don't need two, you know, nose tackles on the same team that are of that caliber. So 
The Jets are looking to move back. Uh, Dane Brugler has them taking Josh Allen, the edge rusher from Kentucky, which we saw the damage that he did in the SEC. We saw what he did against Texas A&M. His instincts, his off-the-ball instincts are just sensational. Uh, the guy reads the play just fantastically, and he can he blew up Travion Williams a couple different times in the backfield yeah. when we played them in October. Um, he's quick. He can get around the edge. Um, it, it's that would be fun to see more young talent in a Jets uniform. They and got see some, what they can do. Uh, Jamal Adams. Um, can't believe I'm drawing a blank on the quarterback's name. Oh, uh, Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. Yeah, Jamal Adams. Sam Darnold. <laughs> add in Josh Allen. Yeah. No, Le'Veon I, Bell. Le'Veon Bell at running back. I agree. It's, that we've talked about ticket sales in this episode. That's some ticket sales. Yeah, right the there. Jets are making a little bit noise. I. I don't think they've got the wrong man to succeed, in my opinion, at the helm. They've got Adam googly eyed uh, Gase at the <laughs> that helm. That guy's right now. got some. That guy's a character. Oh, well, yeah. I'll, I'll be conservative and say he's Which, a I mean, character. the Jets just seem, other than Todd Bowles, Todd Bowles was kind of boring, but I mean, with the Ryan family in there earlier, they just have a propensity for drama. <laughs> they do. Um, so I don't know if Gase is there. I don't understand how you see a guy who couldn't even make the playoffs in Miami and think, yes, we're going to bring in all this talent, and that's the guy we want to lead us. Yeah. I, I don't agree with that. But anyway, we'll move on. The next polarizing name is a guy that I've had slide up and down my draft board a couple of different times, and you've seen move from a top three overall player to at the very bottom of the first round. That's Ed Oliver out of Houston, the defensive tackle. He The problem with Houston is – or with Houston – with Ed Oliver is he's a little undersized for the yep. nose tackle spot, right? But he, there's no doubt he's a he's a game changer. He is an absolute playmaker. Um, it seems like now that time has passed, there's a lot of uh, teams that aren't as concerned about the the issues that he had with his coach at Houston. Some of the you know drama queen moments that were reportedly coming out of that locker room. I, I don't know if he goes at six. He's such a hard guy to pin down because he fits into very specific offenses. I know a lot of people had him you know, fitting into like the Falcons defense. He needs to be a more pass rusher centric than yeah. just nose tackle. You're right. He's not a guy that, <clears throat> all right, any team takes this guy. He's an, a huge impact player. Mm-hmm. He plays a very specific role in the defensive line, and he's good at it. But you have to find the right fit for him, and I think you're spot on with that because he is undersized. He's very fast, great with his hands. But if he's in the if he's in a wrong formation, <clears throat> if he's not in the right system, that limits him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I would agree. I think he's. You've got to handle him very, very carefully, and if you're taking him, you have to know exactly what you're going to get out of him. He is a game changer, but at the same time, if you use him incorrectly then I, I really think you're wasting your pick here. Yeah. He, he is undersized, so he's got a very, very specific role. Uh, Montez Sweat at eight going to the Lions, according to this draft. I really like Montez Sweat. Uh, a guy that he moved ahead of, which has also bounced around, is Rashawn Gary uh, going number nine to the Buffalo Bills. Gary's a defensive end that I've talked about a lot. He has glimmers of this elite potential, right? Coming out of high school, he was the number one recruit. He went to Michigan and then he never really lived up to his name. Yeah. Uh, when you study him on on tape, and a lot of the guys that I've been reading lately through The Athletic, they don't see enough to justify a top 10 pick. Kevin Turner for the fan back in Dallas was saying, there's a lot of mocks that have him going you know, in the top 10 and a, you know, a, a little bit of a question mark, but take him in the top 10, you're going to get your value. KT was saying, I don't see him in the top 30. I the the way that he looks at him, the way that he looks at his tape and kind of projects out, he's really nervous about even spending a first-round pick on a guy like that, which the Cowboys know all too well. We took Taco Charlton, what was it, two years ago? Yeah. Yeah, two years ago. Another Michigan defensive end who had a lot of potential, showed now, a lot and, of potential. And it's reaching. And to yeah. be honest, like we're reaching. You're reaching. Buffalo would be reaching to fill a position. Yeah, I agree. So... And, and then I forgot who I was listening to, but there was um, NFL GMs talking about, look, if you have a, a second round grade on a guy, no, no, it was uh, the guy who calls into the show here um, from the Texans. Oh, John Harris? John Harris. He was saying, if you have a second round grade on a guy, 
you don't draft him unless he's you don't draft him in the first round. Mm-hmm. Look, if he's available and you need to fill a position, but he's a second or third round grade. Look, you don't you take a first round grade player and you stick to that because yeah. you don't want to reach. Right. And we the Cowboys reached with Taco Charlton. And yeah, he's we're, we were trying to fill a position, but I mean he he ultimately hasn't lived up to how high we drafted him. Right. And we could see that with Rashawn Gary. And I mean every team does this, right? It's not unique to Dallas. Everyone plays the what if game years yeah. later. So we've played the what if the Cowboys hadn't taken Zeke Elliott, right, with three. What if they'd taken Yeah. Um, you know, uh, a number of different guys, but Jalen, I'm um, blanking on his last name. Uh, Man, we have someone woo! sprinkled some memory <laughs> loss dust on yeah, us no today. kidding. I'm Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey. What if we taken him? Obviously, that's a much different future for the Cowboys. Yeah. With the Taco Tar- uh, Charlton draft, what if the Cowboys had taken TJ Watt at linebacker? He went mm. either one or two picks right after the Steelers. You you talk about yeah. a, not necessarily a linebacker need, but your linebacker core could be elite. I think yeah. if you had Vander Esch, Smith, and TJ Watt, <laughs> plus last year's game, the Cowboys versus the Texans, that w- would have been a little little extra spice in that game yeah. with JJ and TJ matching up. Um, but we could play, like you said, you play the you what can if do that game every single year, every year in any professional sports draft. Right, exactly. Um, so. My my big question in looking at the draft is, and we, we talked about this off air, is Washington moving up? Yes. So there's been reports that the Redskins want to move up to a top five pick, which would likely them with they have a huge need at quarterback. Mm-hmm. So that would likely be a them selecting Dwayne Haskins. What do you make of of Washington trading up, and then who do you think would be most beneficial for them to draft yeah so i think i i don't know if they would trade up as high as three um the jets and the bucks both won out of their spots uh they aren't i think the jets won out of three more than the bucks won out of five the bucks could get devin white the linebacker so i think they would be more content staying there but play just a hypothetical game let's say the giants move up to five with the bucks I'm assuming at this point Kyler's off the board. I'm I'm going to assume that he yeah. won overall. So then I think if you're trading up to five, I think you're going to get. I think you're going to go get Dwayne Haskins because the the Giants are at six, and they have a quarterback need. Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot of mocks, a lot of rumors that Dwayne Haskins is is a favorite of the Giants, even though. Uh, Gettleman in New York keeps coming out and saying, oh, Eli has earned two or three more years. No, he hasn't. And my buddy sent me an SI article, Sports Illustrated article, talking about, look, GMs mess with each other. There, There's always this game of giving information to get information, but you yeah. can never know if the information's true. Right. So is Gettleman being serious about that's a good Eli take. being, yeah, that's being a good- the guy so that they can... Sn- in a sneaky way, draft Haskins at six? Yeah. So, I mean, I statistically, a, Eli Manning is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. And has been for Yes. I mean, people gave years. Joe Flacco a lot of a lot of flack yeah. uh, in Baltimore. Eli's statistically worse than him. Yeah. And so for Gettleman to come out and say, oh, Eli's earned uh, you know, a contract extension two or three more years at the helm, what's, what are you looking at? So I, I think that could very easily be the case. Gettleman blowing a little bit of smoke. Um, it may, I, I don't know if it would help or hurt him, but in this scenario, I'll say Washington moves up to five. They swipe Dwayne Haskins from under the Giants' nose. So then the Giants, uh, according to this, are left with only one other first-round quarterback. They have the 17th pick in the first round with mm-hmm. their um, from their trade with Cleveland. So now the Giants select Daniel Jones, quarterback from Duke. And Daniel Jones has so many grades on him that vary. I don't really know what to believe. Like, I watched some of his stuff from college, and he looked adequate, right? He's got an okay arm. He can run. He's tall. Great. He's apparently a very cerebral quarterback. He scored highest on the Wonderlick test this year, um, which Kyler Murray scored only a 20, by the way, out of, I think, 36 is the highest grade. So, although there is no real correlation between Wonderlick scores and you know, project or actual results in the NFL, but I digress. Daniel Jones has had anywhere from a first round grade to a fourth round grade. 
So now the Giants, Jeez. if you want a quarterback this year, you're stuck with a guy who really is a ping pong ball. He could land anywhere. That is not great for Giants fans and really awesome for the rest of the NFC East, specifically the Cowboys. So, okay, so if Washington trades up to five, do you think New York, do you think the Giants would draft Drew Locke at six? Because I uh, I like Drew Locke a lot better than Daniel Jones. I do too. Daniel Jones, big, I mean, he throws a lot of interceptable balls, which yeah. gets you eaten alive in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And Drew Locke, I think Locke Drew, does too. Drew Locke does too. He's a lot more, he's way better when he's on yeah. than Daniel Jones. But inconsistency has been the plague for Drew Locke. Yeah. But he's showed very good NFL potential. Still kind of iffy. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, to add another element to this story, right now the mock, uh, Brugler's mock has Drew Locke going to the Broncos at 10, who do need that future franchise quarterback, yeah. right? John Elway has swung and missed so many times. And Flacco said he expects to be that guy. Like, they, they've... Well, not not, not in that language, but <laughs> he was being interviewed, asked, what do you think about... He was like, look, I'm here, basically, I'm here to be the guy, and I want to be right. the quarterback for this franchise. Yeah, no, I, I don't think Flacco's in danger of, you know, not starting yeah. uh, at this point. I think if you take a quarterback, you let him season behind Flacco, and, and then in two, three years, you see what you got. Um, but, so, keep... Keeping this hypothetical going, Washington trades up to five. They take Dwayne Haskins. Do the Giants trade out, or do they just reach and take Drew Locke? What did the Broncos do at that point? Like, imagine, imagine being the Broncos in the Broncos' war room. Your pick right now going into it is Drew Locke. All of a sudden, the Redskins trade up to five and take Dwayne Haskins. Like, what alarm bells, how many alarm bells are ringing around that draft room if your pick was Drew Locke. You know what I mean? I mean, it's not necessarily set that the Giants will take a quarterback. Obviously, from Gettleman's words, you can't draw a conclusion one way or the other. Mm. You could say that Eli's the guy, but take a rookie quarterback at six and let him develop. So what do you do? It's not like if the Giants want a quarterback, it's not like the Broncos can say, hey, hey, we <laughs> we both need a quarterback. You want to trade out of your pick so we can take your quarterback. I'm you know, loving this hypothetical. Okay, Washington trades the five. They take Haskins. New York trades back to nine, swaps with Buffalo because Buffalo's trying to get a defensive lineman. Yeah. New York doesn't take Ed Oliver. They trade back to nine, draft a quarterback. Before Denver gets to draft Drew Locke. So if, if the Giants like Drew Locke, he'll still be there. And they'll st- at 17, there's still plenty of defensive linemen available. Yeah, in a defensive line deep draft. Yeah, it's very true. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it just depends. I hope Washington trades up because that would make this so <laughs> exciting. It absolutely would. It would shake up all the draft boards immediately. Um, man, yeah, that would be just fantastic to watch. And I wish you could be a fly in the wall on all these, you know, in all these drafts simultaneously. I think you can buy. Aren't they selling tickets for like a hundred thousand dollars? Oh my goodness! Maybe I had a dream about this, <laughs> but I either I read this article in my dream or in real life that you can buy a war room ticket for like a hundred k. Oh wow! There's I've there. not heard about that. If that was the case, I mean I'm sure there's some somebody that would do that, but wow, that would be that would be incredible. Obviously, you get the audio from the war room afterwards, right? Yeah. The, the audio gets released, and so, you know, two, three months from now, if you really wanted to, you could go parse up all the audio and figure out what each team was thinking. Um, man, that and, – and for for me, if if the Broncos don't get Drew Locke at 10, they're really in trouble because their other need is cornerback. Well, if you remember at the very beginning of this whole process, Greedy Williams was the top cornerback on the board. He was going fifth overall. Yeah. I don't even think – he slid, I think, out of the first round entirely. There, I don't believe there's uh, Byron Murphy from Washington is now slated ahead of him. So it's Byron Murphy at 27, uh, Nasir Adderley from Delaware uh, at 28, and then Rakia Sin, uh, quarterback from Temple, and maybe the best name in the draft, 29 to Kansas City. Uh, yeah, Greedy Williams has slid 
all the way out of the first round, and according to Dane Brugler, he would be the top pick in the second round of the Cardinals. Yeah. And Chris Harris has demanded a trade or a new contract in Denver. Oh, I did not know that. I hadn't so, heard that. That's interesting. So they do need a cornerback. So if you're yeah. the Broncos, then if you get if you get the carpet pulled out from under you, you do you just trade back? At, at that point, I guess you have ultimately to. Ultimately, right? you trade back, secure more draft capital, maybe trade back to the end of the first, beginning of second, take Greedy Williams, plus maybe get a fourth round pick in oh, that, that trade so and take another though. corner. That would be so disappointing for a Denver franchise that needs a stud cornerback but also needs some hope at quarterback. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think anyone in Denver is excited about Joe Flacco. Oh. <laughs> and, and we've said this a while ago. It's just a Band-Aid for next year's quarterback class. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Uh, obviously, tight ends are a big story in this. Uh, it could be that for the first time in NFL history that two tight ends are taken in the first round of the draft. It would also be out of the same program. T.J. Hawkinson from Iowa and Noah Fant from Iowa. Um, Brugler has Hawkinson going ahead of Fant to the Steelers. Uh, Aggie ties here in the draft. Number 22 from East Texas. You have Texas A&M's own Eric McCoy sliding all the way up into the first round. This surprised me. When I saw I saw one mock draft that had Eric McCoy in the first round, and I thought, oh, that's nice. That's that's really cool. It would be awesome. And then Brugler included him in his first round mock, and I was shocked. Eric is a great guy. I know him. He, I got to work with him last semester. Fantastic player, even better worker, even better guy. Um, so you're not going to miss on him by taking him in this draft. Yeah. What surprised me was there are so many other guys that have had higher grades for an entire season. Eric McCoy wasn't even an All-American selection. He got slighted from from that honor as yeah. well. And so, but he's he's really opened up eyes. He obviously ran the fastest 40 time at the, the yeah. combine, an offensive lineman. Dude can fly. Yeah. And so I think if Eric McCoy comes out, I, I don't see him necessarily as a center, although he could be. I think he's more valuable as a guard. And I think that's NFL. what makes him so attractive is that versatility. Yeah. Especially on a Ravens O-line. That's mm-hmm. having some changes, and it's a little fluid, more fluid than you'd like. Eric McCoy can come in and, and play center, and like you said, probably long term be a guard in the NFL. Right. And people have been forced to go reanalyze his tape mm-hmm. with his with his combine times, his pro day. Like people are having to go, like, all right, who is this Eric McCoy guy? And they're seeing that he's a consistent, solid, versatile offensive right. lineman, which is crazy because it, it feels like, you know, A&M hasn't had a rock-solid offensive line since Luke Jokel got drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so it felt like coming into this this last season, there was so much negative press around the A&M offensive line that, oh, they're, you know, Travion's not going to be able to run and Kellen will never have any time because that's what we'd seen the last few years. It's just yeah. gaping holes in the offensive line. Now all of a sudden... Anum's offensive line did not have a bad season. They finished very, very strongly. Yeah. And Eric was the best of the bunch. And so, like you said, guys are forced to kind of reconsider. And I think Baltimore would be the perfect spot for him as far as need goes. Um, the guard situation in Baltimore is kind of up in the air. Marshall Yonda, who's been there for a long, long time, he's in a contract year. If you could get Eric McCoy and then replace Yonda with a much, much cheaper contract. Obviously, the Ravens are going to do that. And then their other guard, uh, Alex Lewis, their left guard, Alex Lewis, has really struggled with health the last couple of seasons. So really, really interesting <clears throat> interesting to watch there. I think Eric McCoy would be a fantastic fit in Baltimore, and I'm rooting for him, obviously. Uh, finally, before we delve into the Cowboys very quickly, what's your temperature on the wide receiver situation? Because we've seen... Names fly up and down the wide receiver board. Do you even think there's a wide receiver in this draft that's worth taking in the first round? I mean, the two the two names that are being thrown around in this mock draft are DK Metcalf out of Ole Miss and A.J. Brown out of Ole Miss, both of which have had huge injury concerns coming into this year. I So obviously DK Metcalf exploded when his, his Instagram pictures of looking like a defensive Four. end, 230, <laughs> like negative 100% body fat. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. And his his 4 three forty, his bench. But people don't realize how much lateral quickness and speed is important. Laterally, yeah. he's bottom of the charts. He doesn't have it. He so have downfield it. threat, he's good. But he has some major red flags moving east-west. And as a receiver... That hurts route running. 
And you can't just throw deep balls every time. Right. He's not a possession receiver. Mm-mm. He's a scoring red zone threat. And I don't know if that's necessarily worth a first-round pick. I don't think he's a Calvin Johnson. Right. I don't know if he – I don't know. I, I'm not as high on DK Metcalf as most people are. Yeah, I don't even think he's a Des Bryant. Des Bryant didn't have great lateral quickness coming mm-hmm. out either. He, he doesn't run really sharp routes. We saw that with the Cowboys for years – and it got him in trouble with Dak because Dak needed a guy who was going to be crisp with his routes. He needed yeah. to know. Tony had the ability to make up for the wide receiver's mistakes. Tony made everyone else around him better. Yeah. Dak's not quite to that point. He needs to know exactly where you're going to be coming out of your break. Yeah. And Des would would. And that's why he loved that. Jason Wooden. That's why he loves Cole Beasley. Agreed. Or yeah. love Cole Beasley. Love R.I.P. Yes. Buffalo Mafia. And that's a great point because Tony Romo and Des Bryant, their main connection was the back shoulder fade. Yeah. And Des Bryant's great at that. You didn't see a lot of crossing routes. but And like you said, Tony was able to make up for route running issues. Mm -hmm. But if you have a a, a B-rated quarterback, DK Metcalf's not necessarily your guy. Yeah. No, I I completely agree with that. Calvin Ridley would be more of a guy. Yeah. From last yeah. year's draft. No, you're right. I, I would not touch DK Metcalf. I wouldn't touch any old Miss wide receiver. They have way too many injury concerns. Yes, they're talented, but I mean look like you look at a guy like Laquan Treadwell who come came out a couple of years ago, he's yep. done nothing in Minnesota. I mean they they're um oh what's it uh, not Kyle Shanahan, uh, Mike Zimmer, the head coach in Minnesota for a couple of years, did not like Treadwell. He was on the verge of kicking him off the team because he wasn't living up to his talent, and that was affecting him mentally, which then translated into the locker room. I think the very same thing could happen with Metcalf. Like you said, his three-cone drill, atrocious. Bottom of the barrel, almost dead last as, as far as that time went. And you know, people said, oh, he slipped a couple times, so it's not accurate. The reason he kept slipping was because he has the stiffest hips I've ever seen when actually studying tape, right? He just doesn't... He's a straight line guy. And you said this a second ago, you're not you can't make a living in the NFL running deep routes. John Ross for Cincinnati bombed after he set the record for the 40 time. Everyone's yeah. like, "Okay, this guy is going to run deep routes, he's going to burn safeties and Cincinnati's going to throw a bunch of 70-yard touchdown passes." Mm-hmm. He's been a huge disappointment because you can't do that. DK gets knocked off his routes. If he gets knocked off his routes like we've seen a couple times in college, scrap him. He can't get back on track. He can't get back to the sharp route that he needed to run Mm -hmm. because he doesn't have that lower body ability and so that makes me really nervous I wouldn't take him but you know according to this they have uh, Brugler has the Redskins actually at uh, at 15 uh, staying and taking Metcalf so we've already hashed out the Redskins will they move up will they not we'll just have to wait and see Uh, but yeah it's man it's such an interesting draft this year you get to the bottom you have Dexter Lawrence from Clemson going to the Rams Um, Paris Campbell a guy that Kind of like Eric McCoy, I don't think a lot of people were as high on before his measurables. Yeah, Campbell's a guy that could really be uh, attractive as a wide receiver option, and he has them going to the Green Bay Packers. So outside of the first round, the Cowboys obviously don't have a first-round pick. What is the 2019 draft going to look like for the Dallas Cowboys? They have, I believe, six picks overall. I think they have a second and a third-round yeah. pick and then four picks on day three. Um, So we looked at Calvin Watkins' Uh, mock draft for this and his second round pick for the Cowboys I do agree at the position of need it is a safety you need a strong safety to pair with Xavier Woods Um, but he has him taking Jonathan Abram from Mississippi State and the first issue that I have I just I just don't think he's there Uh, a couple other mock drafts that I've read have Abrams going well before that Brugler's seven round mock if I can find it he's got uh, Thornhill, free safety from Virginia, going to the Cowboys at 58. Yes. Uh, I, I do agree that the Cowboys absolutely need to take safety, and I'm going to try and find where Abrams is. Can't find it right now. I'll see if I can find that a little bit later. Um, the Cowboys need a safety. The other place that they could go is defensive tackle, and I think that's definitely something that they should look at in the third round, but... There's He's a, got uh, Abram going 34 to the Colts. Yes. So I don't see how you can. I, That's I, 24 I, spots dropping. Yeah. No, I, I'm not going to say that I don't 
trust Calvin Watkins, but I trust Dane Brugler a lot. He's, you know, just the the depth of analysis and the amount of times that he's been right that I've seen over the last few years. Brugler's my guy when I need to go to, and a lot of the other guys that I've read as well, even when they make up their own seven-round mock drafts, they're like, we can't in good conscience let Jonathan Abrams slip to the Cowboys. So to project him at 58, I think, is a big, big stretch. Um, who did you say Brugler has at 58? Thornhill. Yes. Uh, yeah, Juan Thornhill. Love this kid out of Virginia. Very, very athletic. He's one of the top guys in ball hawker rating uh, coming out of college football this season. I think that would be huge. The problem is you need more of a strong safety. That's where the need is, right? Xavier Woods is is a great free safety for the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Thornhill is as physical as the Cowboys would need him to be. I don't think he can play up in the box to fill that strong safety role. So for me, you take Thornhill, maybe you see if you can add some weight to that frame uh, and and then go from there. But, you know, in, in Brugler's mock draft, he has JoJuan Williams going at 59 to the Colts, the very uh, next pick to uh, out of Vanderbilt. I like JoJuan Williams more than I do um, Juan Thornhill. Williams obviously would be a cornerback. He's taller than Antonio Brown, who's coming up into his contract year. So it might be nice to have some depth there. The Cowboys are going to have to build, rebuild that cornerback court. There's just not enough money to go around and keep all those guys there. Uh, so let's go ahead and slide into the third round. Um, Watkins has Gerald Willis the third, a defensive tackle out of Miami. Um, he notes that depth along the defensive line is huge because Mar- Marinelli uses a heavy defensive rotation on that line. And I agree with that. Somewhere in here, you have to get a defensive tackle. Um, Antoine Woods, Malik Collins, they're not they're not the guys that I think can just carry this team, right? I think pass rusher, you're fine now. You've got Tank locked up. You bring in uh, um, Robert... Uh, Quinn? Yes, Quinn from Miami. So the pass rusher situation, I think, is in large part secured, but I think you got to go get a defensive tackle here. And at the very least, that's where uh, we go in round three. Tristan Hill out of UCF is where Dane Brugler has uh, the Cowboys going. The problem with Hill is he wasn't a starter at UCF. He has potential, and he was in the rotation, but he was hurt a lot. And so he's not actually a starter, um, which concerns me a little bit. I don't necessarily know if I trust someone who didn't play Power 5 football to come out and compete with the big boys but we'll see uh fourth round Mikkel Hardman wide receiver out of Georgia this kid is special uh he has drawn comparisons to a poor man's Tyreek Hill who by the way I don't know if you just saw yeah a few minutes ago no, he's yeah. not gonna be pressed with charges they said that the the district attorney said that a crime was committed but there's not enough evidence to prove who did it so I don't know how Great, that sounds for Tyreek Hill, but he's not going to face a suspension. Well, he shouldn't face a su- suspension, right, Robert? Um, you don't. I don't think it sounds like he won't. It it sounds like he won't, but I mean, Zeke didn't do anything wrong either, and he got six games. So you never know. We'll see what Goodell does yeah. uh, with that. Back to Michael Hardman. Poor man's Tyreek Hill. He's fast. He is electric. He's got good hands. He's a difference maker. He's what Tavon Austin was supposed to be for the Cowboys last year before he really just kind of fell apart and and got injured. So Hardman would be an awesome fourth-round pick. If you talk to Jeff Cavanaugh back in Dallas, he doesn't think that Hardman gets to the fourth round. In fact, in one of his mock drafts, he had the Cowboys taking Hardman in the third round. So here again, you have a round discrepancy. Uh, Fourth round again, Cowboys, according to Kevin Watkins, go Jay Sternberger at tight end. I would love this pick. I don't think Jace is a tight end yet in the NFL, but you've got Jason Witten back. Under a year at Witten? Yes. Developing? I agree. Taking a tight end is huge for Dallas this year. Yes. Because Witten is obviously not the future. No. But taking an underdeveloped or a tight end that needs developing, having a year under Jason Witten, man. And then you have Blake Jarwin. And There's no pressure Rico to the situation. Gathers. Rico Gathers. <laughs> In Jerry Jones' press conference the other day, he was like, he mentioned Rico Gathers again by name. I'm pretty sure he's the only one on that staff that continues to say Rico Gathers will contribute. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. No. He's a basketball player on a football field, and it shows. Anyway, 
Um, yeah, to have Jay Sternberger on the roster, I think would be incredible. I really think it would do a lot for uh, the depth uh, at tight end for sure. Fifth round, Chuma Edoga, tackle from USC. I'll be honest, I don't know anything about him. We'll move on. Uh, seventh round, Michael Do uh, Dogby, I believe is how you pronounce his name, defensive end out of Temple. This is just a depth play. Um, he's he. Calvin says he's played every position along the defensive line at Temple and projects as a D end in the pros. Um, he played in the East-West Shrine game, and he tallied 34 bench reps. So he's strong, at the very least, on that outside. At, you know, at that point, you're just taking developmental guys. So yeah. the, the thing that comes up after this draft, if you go with Calvin Watkins' mock draft, Cowboys didn't take a backup running back. With Zeke entering, not a contract year, they're going to exercise that fifth yeah. year option but it's Zeke or bust for Dallas yeah I mean Rod Smith hasn't done jack squat behind him and so you see if Zeke is not getting the, the carries the Cowboys aren't moving the ball on the ground mm -hmm. and so not taking a backup running back not getting a picture of what you know a Dallas Cowboys roster post Zeke could look like that does concern me a little bit but personally I would rather prioritize the defense this draft than the offense and certainly take certainly take a tight end mm -hmm. above a backup running back go find a backup running back on the street go sign some undrafted guys i mean philip Lindsay out of colorado proved last year yeah you can take an undrafted guy and he can make an impact mm -hmm. so find those guys you have to have those scouting reports that show you okay we're not going to draft this guy but he's going to be available he's the first name we're calling as soon as this draft ends um, Calvin Watkins calls it the worst draft in a long time. I think it's simply because Dallas doesn't hold a first-round pick, which if you look at it, the Cowboys got a top-five player in this year's draft if Amari Cooper was coming out this year, right? Yeah. I mean, Amari Cooper would probably be top three. So essentially what you've done is you've traded your, uh, is it 19th? I think we were sitting at 19th. Yeah. Your 19th overall pick. For a guy that would have been selected top three had he come out this year. Yeah. That's a great trade. I mean, Jerry says he would do it every single day and even if his in his sleep if he had to do it again. Yeah. And I agree with him. That was the right <clears throat> right move at the time. You need to surround Dak with weapons because you need to figure out are we gonna pay him thirty million dollars a year yep. going forward? And this is honestly, if I'm Dak, I'm feeling a little bit of pressure. Because if if Good. If, <laughs> if Dak doesn't perform this year, I mean, there's no more excuse. You can't pay him. Yeah, no, if he does not at least get you back to the playoffs and, you know, solidify the fact that, okay, this is QB1, he can get us to the playoffs, he gives us a shot to the, at the Super Bowl, the Cowboys need to, to find a way to draft a new quarterback next year. Do mm -hmm. not overpay with him. Because he's going to want, his agent is going to want 25 to $30 million a oh, he's going He's going to want top 10 quarterback money. Yes. Russell Wilson obviously just blew the quarterback market yeah. out of the water. And so it's not like other quarterbacks are going to say, oh, well, I'll never be Russell Wilson. I don't want that money. No, of course they're going to want top 10, top 5 money. Um, and so, I mean, you know, even the Jimmy Garoppolo deal, that's a ton of money, but it's incentive-based. And yet... Quarterbacks like Dak will be able to see that and go, yeah, I want that too. So it's it's an interesting game that the Cowboys are going to have to play with the cap situation. But all of that to say, mm -hmm. I've done a lot of talking on NFL Draft Week. I'm excited if you can't tell. It's going to be, I think the draft as a whole is going to be more fun for me to watch than the Cowboys draft just because we don't have that night one pick. But at the same time, this is a very important draft. You need to be able to fill your roster with those role players that don't make this year a complete waste. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what Will McClay, Stephen Jones, what they all do. Uh, but with that, I turn it over to you for the lesson, and I believe we're going back into NBA land. Uh, yes. Let's get spiritual, ladies and gentlemen. But first, let's sports. <laughs> uh, so we previously had uh, some discussion on Damian Lillard. Uh, so interesting thing about Damian Lillard or a cool thing, I guess, for all his loyal fans. In fourth quarters, when it's crunch time, that's referred to as Dame time. And Dame will kind of point to his wrist, to the camera after hitting a big shot, say, look, it's Dame time. Um, and he becomes unstoppable. And it, it's a big thing blown in proportion. Not proportion, but it's, it's blown to a big thing. It's Dame time. It's time to go. 
Here it is. Let's 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 work. Let's get some buckets. We got to win this game. Look, as a Christian, it's Dame time right now. <laughs> it is the fourth quarter. It is Dame time. Look, too often Christians, myself included, I've been victim of this. Is <clears throat> oh, I'll I'll do this uh, when it's convenient. I'll serve here when I feel like it. Um, Oh, I have plenty of years to say yes to God in this area, somewhere he's been calling me. But look, it's Dame time now. It's the fourth quarter now. Scripture is clear that we are in uh, the end times. We are awaiting the day. The day is near that Jesus will come back. There is no time to wait to say yes to wherever God is calling you and the little things and the big things. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 uh, is, is clear about this. It says, um, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Romans thirteen eleven, Paul says, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than we, when we first believed. That word salvation in this context referring to living with God in eternity. So look, Scripture is clear. We are in the end times. So you think of it was a clock counting up towards when Jesus came, lived, died, resurrected. That was the peak. And then it's a countdown clock until Jesus comes back. The time is counting down. So what are we doing waiting? As a believer, why are we saying no to God leading us in certain things, thinking that we have all this time? Look, the world can end now. The world could end tomorrow. So as Christians, we should think of how, how Damian Lillard in the fourth quarter says, look, it's Dame time. Look, it's Dame time for Christians now. How are we serving? What are we doing now with the gift of salvation? How are we loving? Look, just like the early church baptized people right after belief, people would believe in Christ, immediately get baptized. What are we doing with the gift of our salvation immediately right now? What action are we taking right now? Look, if you have a big test in a few days, you're studying as hard as you can. If you're running a marathon in the end days leading up to that, you're preparing for it and actively doing something. So what are we doing preparing ourselves for when Jesus comes back right now? Because it is the fourth quarter of this of eternity this side of heaven. Yeah. So let there be a reminder, look, it is dame time, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> there is no time to wait to try to bring as many people with us to live eternity with God. There is no time to wait because Jesus can come back anytime. Obviously, it's easy to think like, oh, it's only been 2,000 years since Christ walked the earth. So? I mean, what what's more to happen? Obviously, there's different theologies on this, this has to happen, this has to happen. But Paul was writing, this is the end times. It's still yeah. in like, like there is, there's no <laughs> if, time yeah, to wait. Paul felt like he was close to the end... <laughs> yeah. literally there there's there we're just waiting for Christ to come back. Yeah. The the peak, the climax was when Jesus died resurrected on the cross and now it's just a countdown clock. Yeah. So as a Christian, live as if it's the fourth quarter of a basketball game, doing everything you can to say yes to God and bring everyone you can with you to live in eternity with God. Yeah. No, I agree. We get complacent. I feel like as Christians, you know, oh, I'll read my Bible tomorrow. Oh, I'll, you know, witness evangelize tomorrow um but you're right and the new testament is very very clear that we don't know the hour that it's that christ is coming back um but we're expected to live and to act and to obey like he's coming back right now yeah um and so yeah i think that's a that's a great reminder for sure uh well there you go episode 36 is in the bags put to bed it's been a fun one NBA, draft talk, and then a brief lesson at the end. Always, uh, always very thankful for the time that you guys spend with us, and uh, we're very, very pleased uh, to have you guys on board. Love the continued support, the texts, the tweets, what have you. Um, it's really, really fun, and we're going to have to figure out a way to keep this going here as uh, graduation's mm -hmm. approaching very, very quickly. My goodness. And uh, you're about to take off to the East Coast after graduation. About to head to old Charlotte, baby. Yeah, so. North Carolina's Texas. <laughs> North Carolina's, 
Or that didn't make sense. <laughs> North Carolina's Texas. Let's just scratch that. Okay. All right. We'll move on from that. Uh, <laughs> Luke's going to be on the East Coast. I'll be back in Dallas. Uh, and we will we'll figure out a way to keep it going. Yep. But anyway, episode 36 uh, is done. Thank you guys so much. Until next week, have a good one and take it easy.